Well, thank you, Walter. Appreciate that. And thank you for your being with us today as we launch the, into this new year. I practiced all week to say Feliz Ano no, Novo. Novo. Let me try that again. Feliz Ano Novo. Okay. <laughs> And then when I used it, they say something back to me in Portuguese and I have no idea what they're saying. So it didn't help a lot, but I tried. So, but we are thankful to have you here. Uh, you know, one of the things that excites me about this month, New Year, January, is the 23rd of January, we are going to have a baptism service here at Calvary. That's one of my favorite uh, special events in the Christian life. And so if you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus or maybe you have children that have become followers of Jesus and they'd like to be baptized and talk about it, we'd love to have you consider participating with us on the 23rd. You can talk to me or one of our deacons and uh, we'll be glad to kind of get you started down that road, but that'll be on the 23rd. A great way to kick off the new year to say, God, I want to just pro publicly proclaim I follow Jesus that he's my Lord and he's my Savior. And if you'd like to do that, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And this year, we're going to make a concerted effort to engage more in that good news of the gospel and through some evangelism and things you'll be hearing more about. But I thought also I should tell you and, uh, to start the new year here, I, I have some good news and some bad news. But I'll give you the good news first. That is that uh, today uh, we are going to begin a three-week series of talks about marriage and relationships. The bad news is that today we're going to begin a three-week series of talks <laughs> about marriage and relationships. And I say it like that because I know that uh, a lot of women in the room, married and single, are saying, oh boy, finally we get to hear what Gary has to say from the Bible about relationships and marriage. And then I realize that some men in the room are thinking, yeah, boy, I was just starting to like this guy. <laughs> Why is he going there? And then our dear singles, and we have, thank God, a good number of singles at Calvary, are thinking, well, maybe he'll take a drink of water and I can slip out to the restroom and get out of here. Because <laughs> this doesn't pertain to me. Uh, I confess that's probably an inappropriate stereotype of how we approach this subject of marriage and uh, relationships. But just to continue to step further, and then I'll apologize, uh, it's the, it reminds me of the words uh, of Pastor Andy Stanley. that He said, when we men hear about this subject of marriage and relationships, it's the way we, pr we approach that, kind of like we approach owning a car. Uh, most men don't want to work on their car. They just want their car to work. <laughs> I think that maybe summarizes a lot of the, the male approach. And so when our wives pick up a, a good book on marriage and they say, Honey, would you, let's read this book on marriage together this year. Uh, we can, or they say, You know, there's a great marriage seminar coming up on a weekend. I'd love for us to go. Uh, we hesitate and maybe reluctantly agree and then think, oh, I hope she finds another book that gets her interest soon before we have to delve into this book or uh, there's a schedule conflict for the, that marriage weekend so we can avoid this. And I think often the reason 
that when wives say, hey, let's talk about our marriage, why we as men are a little hesitant, because what we hear in our heads is, hey, let's talk about my shortcomings as a husband (laughs) and how you can fix me. And we hear that, we think, I don't want to go there. Now, with all that said, uh, how am I going to avoid these pitfalls and stereotypes in this three-week series on marriage and relationships? Well, to start off, uh, I'm going to share the the opportunity to talk. Uh, I'm going to take the first and the third week, and uh, one of our deacons, Delton Hochstetler, is going to take next week to be talking about marriage. So today, I'm going to kick that off, some truths about marriage. Delton will follow next week, and the third week uh, in this series, I'm going to talk about marriage, but talk about it more from the perspective of, of relationships, and I want to address the singles in our church. I found growing up that uh, I'd sit through, I don't know how many series on marriage, but I really seldom heard a pastor stop and say, well, I want to talk to those of you who aren't married or once were married or have sworn they'll never be married. Those in the single crowd. What does God have to say about that? So we're going to do that on the third Sunday as well. And I want you to know, I'll put you at ease, you're not going to be breaking up into small groups today. This isn't a large counseling session. You don't, I'm not going to give you little discussion questions with your spouse that you turn and have to deal with it right now here in this room. Um, I'm not going to do that. Rather, I simply want to be God's mouthpiece to tell you what he thinks about marriage. Some truths from him. Because, as you know, what God thinks about marriage is infinitely more helpful and important than what I have to say about marriage. And so, uh, this Sunday will be a little bit different, and I'm going to approach it more as teaching than than preaching. So, we're going to kind of talk and a little more informal then. It might be something that you want to take some notes on, because we're going to test some multiple points. Or if you don't take notes, uh, you can at least take a picture. And some things that up there you say, I want to review those myself and see if, in fact, those things are true. Because I want to share with you uh, four foundational truths, biblical truths, about marriage today. These are important because uh, so much of what we hear about marriage today comes from our secular culture, doesn't it? We read that this year we believe marriage is that, and last year it was this, and next year it'll be something different Uh, Those opinions and discussions about marriage can confuse us from our culture. And so as Christians, we need to know what the Bible says about marriage, what what God's Word says, because that should form the foundation of what we believe about marriage and how we practice marriage, because those come from the Bible. They're changeless, and they're worth writing down or capturing a picture of as we go through these truths about marriage. So let's start. Uh, the first one, if you want to take notes and class is starting, uh, the first one in writing down is that marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Now it may surprise you, to, if you're not quite sure where this is coming from, to, to learn that marriage is not a human creation. It wasn't created by the the, producers of the American TV series, The Bachelor. It wasn't the idea of some Elvis wedding chapel in Las Vegas. Marriage was God's idea from the very beginning. We're going to take a look at uh, 
a very important passage, a couple today. The first one is in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, easy to find in your device or your, in your Bible. We're going to discover that after God created the first man, Adam, he, he had this to say. So if you have your Bible in Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll be, and we're going to look at that passage that we heard read a little bit earlier, starting in verse 18. But this is what God said after he created the man. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God paused. And then he brought this parade of all the living creatures before Adam, as we find in the story. And Adam was to give them a name. And then it's as though God said, oh, yes, Adam. You didn't find a suitable mate there, of course, in the animal kingdom. And he comes back to Adam. and uh, Let me talk to you about your situation. And in verse 20, he says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There we have it. From the very beginning, marriage is God's idea. It's not a creation of Western civilization or the courts or some country's constitution. Therefore, marriage isn't open to us or anyone defining it as we would like. God designed the institution of marriage, the Bible says. It was his idea from the very beginning of humanity. One man, one woman for the rest of life. Okay, said it, there it is. And I realize in a room this size, there may be some here who say, I don't like that. <laughs> in fact, I don't agree with that. That's hardly relevant in our world today. That makes no sense. It's not politically correct. It's not culturally correct. It doesn't work in our world. And that's okay. Because you don't have to like that or agree with it. But it doesn't change. At least you know now what the Bible says about marriage. That the Bible's perspective, the Bible's truth, is that marriage is God's idea. And we can't change it. God said, this is what I, how I've designed it. And anyone that gets married, follower of Jesus or not, because it's God's idea, God's design, and God breathed into it, it moves a person and can move a person toward God, knowing what love is about, knowing what relationships are about, knowing what commitment is about. God designed it with great purpose in mind. And that's why I think the words of Augustine rings so true. He said, show me a man in love and I'll show you a man on the way to God. There's something about God's character and nature that's revealed and offered in this marriage relationship. And linked to God's idea of marriage uh, comes a second point that is worth uh, noting and that's about God's ideal for marriage. God's ideal for marriage. We see that also in Genesis chapter 2. Down in verse 24, we saw that. But I want to come back to it. It says, and this, uh, said, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, 
and they become one flesh. Here's the second foundational truth, that God's ideal for marriage is that two become one. Oneness. The idea of oneness is critical to God's ideal for marriage. And that may be a radical realization to many couples. Maybe you don't understand, what does that mean? Well, in other words, it's God's design for two individuals, man and wife, husband and wife, to become one flesh. The result is that marriage becomes a refining process that God uses in our lives to develop two people into the man and woman, the husband and wife that he designed them to be, while at the same time uniting them into a new oneness, a unit. It's God-designed, God-honoring, a God-purposed oneness. And the end product of God's ideal of oneness for marriage is that husband and wife learn to love and to honor one another so that they can fulfill their God-given calling and display the goodness and glory of God in their relationship. Now, if you're married, you realize that sounds glorious, but that isn't easy. And God's ideal isn't always achieved and experienced in life because of who we are, because of our brokenness. But that's God's ideal for marriage. And when we put these two truths together, God's idea of marriage and God's ideal for marriage of oneness, we see the biggest difference between God's view of marriage and our culture's view of marriage. For the secular culture sees marriage as a, a legal contract, essentially, between two people. A contract that's binding until it can, wants to be canceled. And it can be canceled between these two people for a variety of reasons by either spouse. But the Bible views marriage not as a contract, but as a sacred covenant. Huge difference. And that's the third truth that I want to point out and worth noting today. So let's explore it for a moment, that marriage is a sacred covenant, not just a contract. You see, much of the Bible's teaching about marriage uh, concerns, uh, really, and focuses on a Christian marriage. Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that in just a couple of minutes. But for now, let's just say this, that a Christian marriage essentially is a marriage in which both spouses are Christians followers of Jesus. Not complicated. And so in a Christian marriage, there is an agreement, a covenant, between three parties. Husband, wife, and God. Making it a covenant. A Christian husband and wife covenant with each other before God to become one flesh. And so Jesus said this, Understand that in Matthew 19, 6, he said, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus understood that God is in that mix. That's part of the covenant. God's original design was that marriage be a lifelong covenant between a man, a woman, and God. And when we understand our marriages as a sacred covenant made before God, Marriage takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? For the Bible says that in a Christian marriage, it's God 
who's joined that couple together. Not some priest or pastor or government official. It's a covenant between a husband, a wife, and God. It's legally recognized, of course, but it's more than a legal contract. And so a couple who has that covenant, a Christian couple and a Christian marriage, doesn't stay married because of the kids or because of financial considerations or because of uh, good sexual relations or because there's so much love or because of family image or because of compatibility. No, a Christian marriage stays together because it's a covenant to one another and to God. And so when our culture tells us, hey, give up, get out, start over, find someone new. The Christian marriage, because it's a covenant, says, no, we can rebuild. We can forgive. We can even be resurrected because we have a third person in this marriage. It's a covenant with God in the mix. And we belong to a covenant-keeping God. And we can hold to that even in our marriages. So let's come back to this idea of a Christian marriage for a minute that's really central to this concept uh, of marriage as a covenant. If you want your marriage to be all that it can be, then you need to know that God wants your marriage to be a Christian marriage. And I say that, and I'll explain that, and I don't mean to make anybody feel bad if you don't have a Christian marriage, but we need to understand what the Bible says and pray that that might be true in our marriages as well. Uh, certainly, as I said, the first characteristic of a Christian marriage is that the two participants, husband and wife, are followers of Jesus. And so if you desire to experience God's ideal for your marriage, you need to have a Christian marriage, a Christian spouse. Both you and your spouse must commit yourself to be followers of Jesus. Uh, not just churchgoers, not just religious people, that doesn't mean you just have your ceremony in a church building somewhere or that you have a pastor or a priest officiate. No, you and your spouse need to be active followers of Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And I'll tell you, singles, if you're not currently married, make a commitment that when you do get married, if God brings that gift to you, that you will only marry another believer in Jesus. Stay away from this temptation of what I call missionary dating. That doesn't work well. Now, I know there are some success stories of where somebody said, well, I, he, he wasn't a follower of Jesus or she wasn't a Christian, but she was interested, and I went ahead and we got married, and lo and behold, after some time, he became a follower of Jesus. That does happen I, by God's grace. I pray it happens in your life and your marriage if you're, you're married to a, a non-believer at this point. But that's not God's ideal. The Bible says don't be uh, unequally yoked in your marriage with a non-believer. And so singles, make, make it a, a point in your dating life and in your married life that you'll date and marry only a believer, someone who shares your faith and your values of being a follower of Jesus. And so that brings us to the second characteristic of a Christian marriage. And that is that Jesus is invited into the marriage. He's not just in our lives, but he's invited into the marriage and he's established as the center 
of that marriage, an active participant in that marriage. He's not just a plaque on the wall as, that came as a wedding gift, but he's in our lives. He's actively engaged in our relationship. A Christian marriage establishes Jesus as the center of the marriage relationship, in fact. It's like a braid of hair. If I had long hair and wanted a braid, or some of you have long hair and you have a braid, it looks like a braid has two strands of hair. But in reality, it must have a third strand to keep from unraveling. And so a Christian marriage is one where Jesus has been invited into the center of that marriage. And the result of that is that a, a couple grows closer to one another and stronger in their marriage as they grow closer to Christ individually and as a couple. Maybe this diagram will, will help a little bit with that. This triangle diagram. Husband and wife and, and God. There are three participants in this marriage covenant. You want to get closer husband and wife together on that uh, horizontal plane? In a Christian marriage, the way you get closer together as husband and wife is by growing closer to God. As you move in your relationship with God closer to Him, you also get closer to one another in your marriage. And so if you bring God into the center of your marriage, amazing things happen. Beautiful things can happen. And if you have a broken marriage, uh, one that has some damage in it, God can bring healing to that too because He's in the middle of it. He can heal and resurrect and restore and renew your marriage because he's then there with it, with you. Recently, a friend of mine asked me if he could talk to me about some issues in his marriage. And I said, sure, let's, let's talk. And so we chatted, and for 30 minutes at least, he just poured out to me the story of his relationship, his marriage, and the troubles that he has and the hope he's lost, but the hope that he had for it. All the issues there. And finally, when he ran out of stories and he ran out of ammunition, he said to me, so what can you tell me about how to fix my marriage? And I'm sure my answer to him was not what he expected. Uh, and I'm sure he thought, man, I'm glad I'm not paying him to tell me this stuff. <laughs> I'm glad this is free counseling because it's not probably worth much more than I'm paying for it. But here's what I told him. I told you the best way to work on your marriage is to work on yourself. To work on your relationship with God. Your walk with God. Because as a Christian, your Christian marriage will reflect the quality of your relationship with God. I found that true in my marriage. If I'm struggling and uh, passive in my walk with God, my wife is one of the first ones who knows it. She says, hey, you're missing some devotion time, man? Let's get with it. I can tell things aren't working. It's because something's broken there. There's a disconnect in my relationship with God. As a Christian, your Christian marriage will reflect the quality of your walk with God. That's a key element to knowing how to grow in our marriages. And so the first step <clears throat> to improving your marriage is to take the responsibility to improve your spiritual life, your relationship with God. Because I'll tell you, if you did an analysis, the things that your marriage lacks 
or needs more of is usually evidence of some of the things your own life is lacking and needs more of. If your marriage lacks intimacy or patience or kindness or honesty or forgiveness, you'll often find those same virtues are lacking in your own life and your own relationship with God. And so in order to improve your marriage, you must begin by improving your walk with God and your own life, coming back to Him and finding His renewal, His forgiveness, His restoration. You see, it works that way because a healthy marriage is really the product of a healthy couple. Your marriage will never be more God-honoring and Christ-filled than your own life. That's not to say it's easy. It isn't. It's one of the most challenging tasks of our entire life, isn't it? Even to keep ourselves healthy in our relationship with God and then to bring that into our marriage. But it's also one of the most rewarding experiences of life. It's rewarding both personally, but it's also rewarding spiritually. And here's how. Because your marriage has ultimate meaning beyond simply bringing you pleasure and fulfillment. Marriage has meaning beyond what it does for me and my spouse. And that's the fourth foundational truth that we'll end with today. And that is that your marriage is meant to put God on display. Well, where does that come from? Well, we discover that in the closing words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter. He's been talking about marriage, and as he wraps up that discussion, uh, he gives us this uh, exalted teaching, really, about marriage, how it works. He does that in verses 22 to 31. We won't go there now, but you can look at that later, Ephesians 5, 22 to 32. But in the first nine verses, 22 to 31, he tells us uh, this is what uh, a marriage of oneness looks like. This is how a Christian marriage should function. In other words, he says, husband, or wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And he says, guys, men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, that's a lifelong assignment, enough, we think. But he doesn't stop there. And then Paul concludes with these inspired words in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, the ultimate statement that can be made about marriage is that God designed it to reflect the relationship between God's son Jesus and his bride, the church. Not the other way around. God didn't say, oh, the relationship between the church and Jesus will, will be like a marriage. No. God says, I want your marriage to be a reflection of the relationship between Jesus and the church. I like the way Pastor John Piper put it so, so accurately. He said, the Christian marriage exists to display God's glory as seen in the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. That's the ultimate meaning of marriage, to make God look good. 
so that people look at our marriages and they, as they do that, they come away with a better understanding of the covenant between Jesus and the church. Oh, so that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a part of his people. That ultimately is God's design for the covenant of marriage. Well, those are my four points. There's more that can be said about marriage. I'm going to leave that to Delta next week to pick it up from there and carry it on, wrap that up. And then we'll come back on the third week and talk to uh, singles. But my prayer is that we work together in having our marriages be all that God wants them to be. For us personally, those of us in, involved in marriage, if you're single and you're looking to maybe toward marriage down the road, that you say, God, I want that kind of marriage. I'm going to commit myself now to be the kind of person that experiences that. And if you're in a marriage that's hurting and maybe broken, there's hope that God is in your marriage too. And he's a covenant-keeping God and a marriage-healing God, a resurrecting God. So let's pray together. God, we celebrate you because our marriages, those of us who have received that gift, have the opportunity to display the beauty of the relationship between Jesus and his church. God, I pray across this room today, as people hear these words and we talk about relationships and marriage, uh, I know there's, there's a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment. There's joy, there's thanksgiving, but there's also hurt. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit might bring a, a sense of peace and hope to the lives and relationships of those who say, that's what I want in my marriage. How do I find it? God, I pray you'd bring hope and healing in those marriages. And marriages that are reflecting and disp the display and displaying the relationship between Jesus and the church, Lord, would you continue to bless them, and make them whole, healthy, make them reflections of your grace to a world that needs to see who Jesus is, what he looks like, and what his relationship with them can be personally. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.